you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. I'm excited to be here this morning. If you're a first-time guest with us, uh, whether this is your literal first time um, here experiencing this community, or maybe it's the first time you've been back to church in a while, or maybe this morning, it's literally the first time you've ever been to church. I just want to say that we're, we're so glad that you're here. This is a a community where you can belong before you believe. This is a community where we recognize that we're all on a spiritual journey. And so this morning, whether you come in and, and you consider yourself just a devout follower of Jesus, or whether this morning you come in and, and, and someone has brought you here, maybe you came by yourself and you don't even know if there is a God, I want you to know that you're welcome here, that you have a seat at the table. So uh, if you have your Bibles in heaven already, John chapter 1, verse 14, John 1, verse 14. So I'm excited this morning. Uh, my, my title for my lesson um, is Awaken Us to a Kingdom Dream. So if you'd like to take notes, Awaken Us to a Kingdom Dream, or Awaken Us to the Kingdom Dream. <clears throat> this past Monday, uh, we celebrated one of my favorite people to, to ever walk on the planet, Martin Luther King. Dr. King, to me, is just this amazing human being who, who walked in the ways of the, of the kingdom of God. And he's one of the people um, who have walked the planet Earth that I look forward to the most, um, worshiping God and living in the same zip code as God with. And so I can't wait to hug his neck and tell him how appreciative um, and, and just, just, to, just to share all of, the, all of the things that we've seen come after his life. You know, but one of the things that, that, that he's most known for is for his speech. And he said, I have a what? Come on. I have a what? Make sure we're awake this morning. He said, I have a dream. And this morning, I would argue with you that not only was it a dream, but it was a kingdom dream. You see, MLK, being a man of God, he would have recognized as he read the scripture that Jesus teaches you and I that we need to be praying that it would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can, can I get an amen to that, right? It's like, that, that's, that's, that's what we're supposed to be praying. That's what we're supposed to be doing with our life. And I would argue this morning that MLK's kingdom dream was found in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. It's not going to be up on the screen. I encourage you to go read it. But there's this moment in Revelation 7, 9, where every nation and every tribe and every tongue and every skin color, they're all gathered together and they're worshiping God in his goodness and faithfulness. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, it's not so scary, but as you read it, you're going to get glimpses of what heaven's going to be like. And I imagine MLK opening the, the New Testament and reading that and, and being like, I need to bring this into my day as an American uh, black man. And, and I would just, you know, the thing about, I, I love about MLK is he, what he knew to be true is that if he could just get the power in the kingdom of God to touch the heart of the racist, that even the racist could be changed by the power of the grace of God. And so MLK said, I have a dream this morning, I would argue it was a kingdom dream. You know, lately I've been convicted as me and my wife are getting ready to, to for, for the arrival of, of our firstborn, I'm about to have a son. I've been super convicted lately as I've just recognized that I've, I've been the kind of person that has already began to dream dreams up for his life. And the reality is I've, the, the dreams that I've been dreaming up have, have more to do with the American dream than kingdom dreams. I've already convinced myself that, that literally he's gonna be like the next Larry Bird. Like, 
the next great white hope. Like, you know, it's like, like he's going to be a baller. True story, the other day, me and my dad, my dad's a big basketball fan as well, we're sitting there with my wife, and she shares news with us that we had no idea about. She shares with us that through her family lineage, that most of the men in the family are between 6'3 and 6'5. And I'm, I'm kidding you, this was my reaction. I stood up off the couch and was like, let's go, let's go. Because I was so excited about my son having the chance to be the next Larry Bird. And I just, you, you kind of, you know, I, I, do, I do recognize that there's some silliness in that and it's kind of fun and all that. But I, I just, you know, as I've been convicted lately, I've had to kind of take a step back and go, man, what is it about culture that has discipled me as a man that as soon as my son is old enough, I hand him a football and a basketball and say, go be the next Peyton Man and go be the next LeBron James? What is it about our culture that's discipling us in the ways of the American dream versus being the kind of parents that are giving our kids a Bible and say, hey, go be the next great revivalist, go be the next... And what I've just been asking God of late, I've been going, God, would you build within the DNA of my fatherhood the ability to encourage my son to chase after kingdom dreams, even when those kingdom dreams don't align, uh, don't align with, what, with, with the dreams that I see for his life? Every single person in this room, it's biblical. You can check Ephesians 2. It's another sermon for another time. And I do want to just, just put it out there for you. God has a kingdom dream for your life. God has created you on purpose. God wants to use you to pursue kingdom dreams that here in a moment we're talking about honors the big kingdom dream, the biggest kingdom dream of, of them all. This morning, I want to, and I don't want us to miss this. You know, I told my wife earlier in the car, or not earlier in the car this morning, but earlier this week in the car, we were riding, and I told her, I said, I think this is the most important sermon I've ever preached in my life. And I, I'm saying this ain't like my sixth sermon. And I'm not saying that in a braggy way. I'm just telling you it's not. I've been preaching for years, and just, just, I, I just feel like this is the most important sermon I've ever preached in my life. I ain't saying it's the best. But I'm saying it's the most important. Because I believe with all of my heart that if we'll, if we'll come under it and believe it and receive it, I think it will radically change the way that we look at following and doing life in the kingdom of God. I want to ask you this morning, do you know that you're God's kingdom dream? I just want to sit in that for a moment. I don't want to fast forward to the next part. I just want to sit in that. Did you know that you were dreamt up in the heart of God? Your smile, your face, your personality, God dreamt you up. Like you and me and every person on the planet, we were dreamt up in the heart of God. You know, when Steve Jobs wanted to connect the world, he created the iPhone. But the idea first started where? Started in his heart. I think about the Wright brothers. They wanted to see humans fly. So they created the airplane. That idea started where? It started in their heart. I think about George Eastman. He wanted to capture a moment literally forever, and so he created the camera. That idea first started in his what? In his heart. This morning, do you know that you were dreamt up in the heart of God? 
that God is in love with you, that God is crazy about you, that God is in pursuit of you, that God sees you, that God wants you, that he wants to be in relationship with you. You and me and every person on the planet, even the people that we considered that would never follow Jesus, they were dreamt up in the heart of God. God's dream is for you and me to live in the same neighborhood as God. You open the Bible, you, you, you see it in Genesis. Adam and Eve, they were dreamt up in the heart of God. And there was this moment where they're living in the garden, the same neighborhood as, as God. And Jesus is walking amongst the garden. You heard me right. The Bible says the Lord. And Jesus is walking amongst the garden. They're doing life with him face to face. And in a moment, they thought God was holding out on them. And it wasn't because of their goodness, it was because of their inability in the moment they sinned to be holy anymore that they got kicked out of the garden. And God's response wasn't to throw his hands in the air and say, it's over, you messed up, you're too far gone. It was in that moment in Genesis 3.15, he said, I'm gonna send my son. That he began to orchestrate a plan to rescue humanity. This in the beginning was God's dream. You and me were God's dream. That God wanted you and me to live in the same neighborhood as God. This is the story of the scriptures over and over again, reflecting a God who wants to bring to reality this kingdom dream that is in his heart, that you and I can live in the same neighborhood as God again, worship his goodness, his faithfulness, his amazingness, just to be in his presence, to see his face, to be able to put my, my head into his chest, to put my arms around him, to experience closeness, living in the same cul-de-sac as God, to, to, to live in the same zip code. God's dream, it, it literally is all tied into this, that God's dream is that he wants all of us, every single one of us, to come home. That's God's dream. You know, last week we talked about praying and fasting. What is prayer? Prayer is having a conversation with God. What is fasting? Fasting is denying ourselves physically so that we can go farther spiritually. I'm gonna be honest, I'm already hungry. But I've been going, God, would you push that away and make me hungry for you? This morning I woke up, I'm doing a sun up to sundown. I'm not saying that to be self-righteous or preaching. I'm just saying that's just my fast. This morning I woke up, I'm preparing my sermon, I'm praying, and I see the sun coming up, and I've recognized I haven't ate yet. So I'm like, I need to get in the car, and I'm doing over the speed limit, and the only place next was like Starbucks. I'm like, give me an Americana and a ham and cheese, and I'm like scarfing it down because I want to do this with integrity. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I don't know if my jokes are like long or if y'all are just giving me a simple joke, but, but that was a true story. I don't, it wasn't really a joke. That's really what happened this morning. Unto the glory of the Lord, I shoved a, a ham and cheese like biscuit into my mouth. Um, but, but this idea of, of praying and fasting, you know, if, if Jesus isn't involved, if Jesus isn't involved, it's crazy. Literally makes no sense. But for those of us who can come under the kingdom dream, to begin to recognize that the heartbeat of the scriptures points to a God that wants to rescue the world, it totally makes sense why we would pray and fast. And so here's just the rest of our time together. I want to reflect on the kingdom dream. How did, how did God make this kingdom dream become a reality? And then at the end, we're going to talk about how is God inviting you and I to participate in awakening 
this kingdom dream. And so if you have your Bibles and you haven't already, John chapter 1, look in verse 14. This is all about right here how God is making this kingdom dream become a reality. John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word, Jesus, it says the word became flesh. So, so Jesus became human and he made his dwelling amongst us, among us, meaning he moved, he moved into the neighborhood. It says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who come from the father full of grace and truth. Uh, Think about this. Jesus became human and moved into the neighborhood of humanity. My favorite part about this scripture right here is it says, it, it said he made his dwelling among us. Guys, if we wanna have influence in the arena, we've gotta move into the arena. What Jesus recognized is that he could talk about saving the world from heaven. That's one thing, but it's a whole other thing to move into the neighborhood. It's one thing to say we want to fill up these chairs with people who are far from God. It's a whole other thing to put things on our calendar so that we can spend time with them. He moved into the neighborhood of humanity. Jesus moved into the neighborhood of planet Earth and he moved in with a kingdom dream and that kingdom dream was that you and I would one day live in the same neighborhood as God again. This is amazing. You look at Jesus and you compare him to every other religion on the planet and what you'll see is a God that recognized that you and I in our brokenness in our inability to keep it all together, in our inability to write beautiful chapters, if you would, for my artistic people in the room. He came down for us. You know, earlier this morning, I was reflecting on Buddha's last words. You know what Buddha's last words were to his followers? Monks are standing around his bed, and one of them asked him, hey, what is, what, what is the thing that you want us to communicate to the people who follow you. And his last words were this, go and tell them to do more. Jesus' last words on the cross were, come on, it is finished. Man, we telling secrets out there. It is finished. It is finished. He's, he's inviting us in. He said, it is finished. The work is done. But do you want to participate in the kingdom dream? So Jesus moves into the reality to make this kingdom dream. He moves into the neighborhood to make this kingdom dream become a reality. That's the first part. Here's the second part. Look to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. You know, there's a lot of verses that I I could have picked this morning that would have um, illustrated uh, the, the great exchange, that would have illustrated God taking our place, but I specifically chose this one and I, and I did it on purpose. Romans chapter five and verse eight, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Chris, why did you pick that one? Well, I picked that one because I needed us to see that the word of God, not Chris, but the word of God teaches that while we were still imperfect, while we were still making mistakes, while we were still figuring it out, while our, uh, the chapters of our life were still messy, that was the moment that he said, hey, I'm gonna come for people on planet Earth. Jesus didn't sit in heaven and go, oh, yep, 2020, that's it. 2,000 years ago, oh, they're really good. I'm gonna comfort, though. 
He said, while we were still messed up, while we were still broken, while we still didn't have it all together, he said, I died for you. You know, the gospel is so simple. He moved into the neighborhood. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. He treated the grave like a day's end. He was there for a moment. He was gone the next. He conquered death. You know, I've seen people, I've said goodbye at hospice. I've said goodbye at hospitals. I've said goodbye to, to people who randomly left this earth. Felt like way too soon. You know, there's my great-grandmother, great-aunt-aunt. Other people I know who have, who have gone before me have, that were faithful followers of Jesus. Because it is finished, because he conquered death, there is, no king, there is no goodbyes in the kingdom of God. Listen, I'm, I'm testifying of the truth this morning that one day I'm gonna take my final breath and you can look at my body, but my soul won't be there. It'll be in heaven and I'll be worshiping. But when Jesus comes back, there's gonna be this moment where I'm gonna throw my hands around people I love. I'm gonna throw, like, like it's gonna be amazing, just this great moment of, of, of seeing people who have gone on before me and then meeting people from other nations that worship Jesus and we're all just worshiping Jesus and giving him the glory and the praise and the honor and being there, it's gonna be amazing. But the most amazing part isn't that we all get to see each other again. The most amazing part is that God's gonna be there that we're gonna to get to live in the same neighborhood, that we're gonna to get to live in the same neighborhood as God again. I wanna read one more verse just rather quickly just to really bring home the fact that, that, um, that this was a kingdom dream, that, that this isn't something I came up with that was really catchy, but that throughout the scriptures we see that this is a kingdom dream and that Jesus came to earth with a kingdom dream. So let's go to Matthew chapter four. We're gonna read verses eight and nine. Now some context to the verse that we're about to read. Jesus Christ is fasting for 40 days. He's not eating and not drinking. I don't encourage it, but if the Spirit of God tells you to do it, I say go for it. I'm with you. I'll pray for you. I can't do that. But Jesus did it. And during those 40 days, have you ever wondered how he could actually be tempted? I don't know about you. Maybe I shouldn't share this because I'm a pastor, but I've always been so intrigued by that. Jesus, 40 days, fasting and praying. He's hungry. He's tired. He's exhausted. And the devil comes to him, and he tempts him. And there's three different ways that he tempts him, but here's the one that I wanted to focus on just this morning. In Matthew chapter four, we're gonna read verse eight and nine. Matthew chapter four, verses eight and nine. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And all this, he said, I'll give to you. He said, if you'll bow down and you'll worship me. Now, listen to me. Have you ever wondered why? That God, fully God and fully human, Jesus moving into the neighborhood, how this would be a temptation? Well, I have. And it hit me this week that what the devil is offering him is a shortcut to the kingdom dream. And guess what it comes with? It comes with no cross. What was the kingdom dream? The kingdom dream was people. What did the devil offer him? He said, I'll give you all the kingdoms. He said, I'll give you, I'll give you all the people and you don't have to die. Last week we talked about it. You want to talk about the power of the flesh. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before Jesus dies on the cross, the fully God side of him is saying, not my will, but your will be done. The fully human side of him is saying what? Let this cup pass before me. Why? 
Because the flesh is really powerful. I would run from any leader who tries to act like he's perfect. I've learned really briefly on my time on earth that if I wear a mask, the people who are following me will wear a mask also. If you as a parent wear a mask, your kids will wear a mask. If you live into the kingdom of God, your kids typically will live into the kingdom of God. If not, you'll sow a fruit in them and we gotta trust down the road, even if they're running away from God, that that fruit is eventually gonna bear. But there's something really powerful when we look to this text. He's going, hey, I want to offer you something. I want to offer you the kingdom dream, and you don't have to go to the cross. It would have been a real temptation. The flesh is powerful. I tell people all the time who who say, oh, Chris, I wish I had a relationship with God like you. I'm like, dude, I'm just a human just like you. If you listen to the podcast on my heart, you'd probably find another church. I'm serious. Why? Because we're all jacked. We've been like that since birth. You put us in a room, they're not even my toys. Give me his mind. Why? Because we're inherently sinful. And God says, I want to make you new. That's Revelations 21. He promises that he's going to make all things new. This morning, I know what I'm about to say isn't politically correct, but, but, but just listen to me. The Bible says that God is a jealous God. Okay, that's not from me, that's from the Bible. The Bible says that he is a jealous God. Why in the world would we pray and fast for 30 days? Well, here in a moment, we're gonna talk about we wanna draw near to God, but also we're gonna talk about we wanna do it for the city. We wanna see people who are far from God come to God. Why? We didn't come up with that idea. God came up with that idea. It was his kingdom dream, and he's inviting you and I to participate in it. And I know this isn't politically correct, but this is just the biblical truth. It might need to be politically correct, but it's biblically correct. God wants every single person on the entire planet who was dreamt up in his heart to worship him. Every single one. God is not okay in, in a fan of people worshiping and following Muhammad the prophet. Muhammad the false prophet. He's not a fan of Buddhism or Hinduism or even the tribe this morning that's worshiping the false god in the Amazon forest. If it wasn't a big deal to him, he wouldn't have moved into the neighborhood. God wants to see every single person that you and I know come to Jesus. And when we believe that, it radically changes the way that we follow him. Now, in the same breath, I'm gonna tell you two things the church needs to repent of. The church needs to repent of treating really bad and really harshly those that don't worship Jesus. We need to repent of it. We need to start doing life with people who don't worship the same God as us. We need to start doing life with people who think differently than us. And the second thing that we need to do is we need to repent of our lackluster American dream, American Christianity, that, oh, God doesn't care because he does. He does. So here's the two lenses we come to a close. We do this because we want to do it for the king. You know, last week I, I, I told you that we're, we're praying for new fire and new passion, new vision. Look to James. I'm going to wrap up. Go ahead and get the band to come back up. Look, look to James, James chapter 4. Verse 7 and 8 says, Submit yourselves then to God. 
Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. He says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you're double-minded. This is coming from Jesus, his brother James. But I want us to look at that part where it says, come near to God and he'll come near to you. You know, one of my favorite things in that packet that you'll find if you open it up and you read it is, is the, this, this moment where I'm just reading it and it just jumped off the page to me where it said that we don't fast and pray to get God's attention. We fast and pray so that God can get all of our attention. What would happen when a church community stops treating God like a cosmic vending machine? What would happen, what, what would the fruit be of a church that, that stops treating Jesus like he came to give us religion rather than relationship? What would a church community, the fruit, what would the fruit look like if we just simply came for the next 30 days and said, God, would you use me up? Would you give me new fire, new vision, new passion? Would you give me new bread, new revelation? God, would you give me divine strategy and how I can reach the people who are far from God around me? Would you give me divine strategy into which I can come into greater intimacy and greater depths with you? For us to come with a heart that says, God, here it is. Please use it. Please use it. The second thing, I'm not gonna put the scriptures up on the screen, but as I share this, I just want you to hear the missional language that Jesus used to the people who followed him. So we said, why are we praying and fasting? Well, we're doing it for the king, but we're also doing it for the city. Jesus in Matthew 4 in verse 19, write it down, I encourage you to go read it, but in Matthew chapter 4 in verse 19, he looks to Peter who was a fisherman. He says, hey, follow me, let's go fish for people. I think about this moment in Luke 19, 10 where Jesus is hanging out with one of the most corrupt people of the city he has lunch with them. The guy's heart is radically transformed. And everyone's blown away because this guy just encountered Jesus and now he's a follower of Jesus. And in this very moment, Jesus looks to the crowd or the room of people he's sitting and eating with and he reminds them, he says, hey, the son of man, listen to me, the son of man has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, you're about to go to heaven. Come on, give us one, one last good word, you know, Jesus says, now I'm just gonna remind you about what I told you in the beginning. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and lo, behold, I'm with you always. Oh man, this is, this is amazing. Can I get James chapter four right back up on the screen? This is our, our time of invitation. You know, I, I've been thinking, how, how are we gonna end this? How are we gonna end this? And, and just here it is. I, I just wanna give us all an opportunity to be able to come into this 30 days with a clean heart. You look, it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And just that last part, he says, you double-minded. Scripturally speaking, you know, in Psalm 12, the word that, that the psalmist David used is double heart. And what he's saying, double-minded, he says, man, it's just this principle, and we all do it sometimes. It's like, we really love God, but there's also parts of our heart that what? That really loves the world. In Psalm 12, the psalmist says in verses one and two, he says, when I look to God's people, what I begin to see is that there's a lack of, 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 of people who are following you who have a hunger to do what is right. He says, I see a people who have a double heart, meaning I see people who really love you, God, but they also really love the world. 
And this morning we have a chance, if you want to go ahead and stand with me, we have a chance where we can all begin to come into this 30 days with just a, 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 a clean heart, a clean heart. A moment where we can just begin to, to repent of the things that we're wrestling with, for us to begin to invite God into the broken spaces in our life. And so I confess to you, like, I'm not trying to be funny. This isn't funny. I know probably we'll laugh, and I'm being dead serious. Like, all week I've just been repenting of my worship of football. So I repent. Like, last week I watched the game like a jerk. I repent this morning. I, I, did it at, I did it at the church I preached at this morning, King of City. I just repented to them. I'm repenting to you. I repent of being short with my wife at times when I'm stressed out and I'm busy. I repent, I repent to you guys this morning of, of dreaming up the American dreams over my son that's to be born instead of kingdom dreams. And so here's a couple ways that you can step into some repentance this morning. One, I'll be back by the respond banner with a few other people. If you want to come back there, listen, I'm just a man. person back there is just a man. There's some women back there, just a woman. Nothing special about us, but if you want to come back there, we would love on you and encourage you and pray with you. And so that's one way this morning that you can come and go over these next 30 days when I pray and fast, I want to come with a clean heart. And here's the second way. The second way is you can talk to God. Last week we talked about it. Because of Jesus, he's the great high priest. He's the, he's the new high priest. That you don't have to go through a man. But in this next song, listen to me, in this next song, if you choose to do ladder number two and not come to the response banner, here's all I ask. I would just ask that in this very moment, that when you begin to repent, that you're not worshiping your badness, but you're reflecting on his goodness. That when you confess to God as we're singing this last song, just start to say, God, I need your help. I, I need your help. I want to come in these next 30 days to change person. Over these next 30 days, I want to become new. Over these next 30 days, I want a new fire, new passion, new, like, I just want to be new. And I promise you in that moment, God will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer. So I just want to pray over you. I lift my hands to confess that I want more of God this morning. If that's you this morning, I just want to pray. You want to pray with me. You can lift your hands. I just want more of God. I just want more of God. I just want more of God. God, I just confess I want more of you. People raising their hands want more of you. God, I, I, I pray, I, I don't know if you, I, I know you can do this. I don't know if you will, because I'm asking, but I do pray that you would do it. I pray on this next song right here that it would be the most powerful moment of worship that Wellhouse has ever had. Not because of the talented singers, not because of the people playing on the chords, God, but because you move in a way. Last but not least, I just want to say this, and, and, and then I'm going to close out. All week I've been feeling like there's somebody here in this community that wants to get baptized. If that's you this morning, if you've been feeling that, come back. Let's talk about it at the Respond Banner. God, you're amazing. You're faithful. You're powerful. We love you. God, would you move in a way so that you get the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.